This is Jalen, and you're listening to the Firm Foundation Church Podcast, where you'll get weekly episodes featuring your favorite sermons straight from our in-person Sunday morning services. Check it out. So today we're going to continue in our marriage series, and uh, this is Commitment 4. Next week we'll be wrapping up our our marriage series, and uh, you're going to have the honor of being able to listen to my wife, Christina Davis, preach uh, the very last commitment inside of this marriage series. And so make sure uh, you come back for that next week. You're going to want to hear from her heart. Uh, This is something that her and I have been kind of writing together as we've been going through the series. And and so some of the things I'm sharing comes from her heart to, to you ladies as well. Um, but this is such an incredible series, and our hope is that we are equipping those of you that are single and hoping to be married one day, that we're giving you kind of a foundation on how to build a relationship, how to navigate a dating lifestyle. And for those of you that are married, our hope is that we are reinforcing uh, we are reinforcing what uh, God is already doing in your life, and that commitment is going deeper and further. And so uh, our hope is to continue to equip you, because here's what we know. When marriages are successful, the church is successful. The family unit is successful. A community is impacted. And so it's so key and important that we make investments in our marriages. And so that's what we're doing over these uh, few weeks. Uh, I know that a lot of this information is very practical, even though it's very spiritual at the same time. Uh, and so our goal is to hope, hopefully put some things in your tool belt that will help you in navigating marriage. All right, so let's do a quick review. Uh, in week one, as we began this series, we made the first commitment, which is the most spiritual of all the commitments. It is the commitment to do what? See God. It's already up there for you. You missed it. You missed the cue. <laughs> week one, we are making a commitment that we are going to seek God together in our marriages. Uh, we are going to seek the one, God, with our two, our spouse, or for those of you that are single, while you wait on your two, right? And so that's the first key commitment. Everything stems off of this commitment. If this commitment's out of whack, the rest of them probably will be out of whack as well. Uh, And so it's so important that we make this a foundational thing that we do in our marriages, that we seek God together. Uh, In weeks two and three, we talked about our second commitment, which is the commitment to fight fair. We've got to fight fair. Stop fighting dirty. Uh, stop trying to get the last word in. Stop trying to win the argument because ultimately you're going to lose. And so we want to make sure that we are fighting fear in our marriages. And last week we talked about our third commitment, which is to what? Have fun. Come on, y'all. Having fun in marriage is so important. Man, we're supposed to enjoy our wife so that we'll have a good life. And so make sure you're having fun. And so we're going to jump back into the series and look at our fourth commitment today in the series from this day forward. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for your presence. We ask that you would come and speak to us in a, in a powerful way. We're so thankful for your word and that it's sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces bone and marrow. And so, Father, we just want to receive all it is that you're wanting to pour out to us. I pray that you would speak to every individual and every married couple here today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. All right, the fourth commitment that we are going to make, all right? So in all of these commitments, if you have not been committed to them in your marriage, that's okay, because we are making a decision that from this day forward, we will make these commitments in our relationship. And so the fourth commitment that we want to make in this series is to stay pure. 
We need to stay pure. And this has got to be the, the fourth commitment that you and I make. You know, if I was to look around the room and, and to take a poll, I'm not going to do that right now, right? Uh, but if I was to go around the room and ask you a question, you know, do you plan on having an affair in your marriage today? You know, I'm hoping all hands would be like, uh, no, absolutely not. You know, if I was to ask you the question, do you plan on getting involved with and hooked and addicted to pornography uh, in your marriage? I'm hoping most of you would say, no, that is not something that I want to seek and go after. Uh, maybe you're here today. And if I was to ask the question, you know, are you looking for an emotional confidant that you can rely on and, uh, and invest in outside of your marriage? My hope would be, is that you would say, no, that is not something that I want to have in my marriage. Uh, you know, we are not going to do uh, any of those three things. I would hope that would be the commitment that we would have in our marriage. Uh, but if you look at statistics, they tell us something different. They tell us that roughly 70% of those that are married will do one or more of the one or, one or more of those things that I just mentioned a moment ago during their marriage. But most of us would say that we would never plan on destroying our marriage or, or causing harm to it or, or doing anything like that. But the majority of the people will end up that way in marriage. And maybe we don't plan on doing those things. Maybe it's not where we hope to, to be one day. But if we don't make plans not to go there, the enemy likes to work in the dark. He likes to work in the background. And when we're not being intentional about things in our life, he's like, let me see if I can mess with Blake over here. You know, let me see if I can get in his marriage and cause a fight or a discussion or, or something so that I can get him over here later on, months and years later, to be unfaithful to his wife. And uh, that's what our enemy is out to do. And so we've got to make a decision that from this day forward, uh, if we want to stay pure in our marriage, then we're going to strategize on how not to end up uh, to be a part of those statistics that I just mentioned a moment ago. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says this, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. I love the way the NIV words it. And so here's how the NIV words it. Marriage should be honored by all, by those single, by those married, by siblings, uh, by kids, by the family, all should honor marriage. And the marriage bed should be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so here's what I know to be true. Uh, purity matters to God. That's something that's seen all throughout his word. Purity is important to him in all matters of our life, whether you're single today or whether you're married God calls us to, to live pure, and so we want to stay pure. Statistics tell us that more than 90% of people in the United States believe that adultery is wrong. That's, that's a large number of people. Nine out of 10 people would say it's wrong. It's not a good thing to do. But, but check this out. Over the past 20 years, the percentage of those that have entered into an adulterous relationship has more than doubled. And so we've got a problem. Today, roughly 15 to 20% of marriages experience an adulterous relationship. That's one out of five marriages. It's a struggle, and only 40% of those marriages actually survive infidelity. And so this is something that needs to be talked about. This is something that we need to be arming ourselves with and, and making a commitment that we're going to stay 
pure. Why, why are these statistics so high if 90% of us believe that it's wrong? You know, how, how, do, how does one in five marriages struggle with this reality? Well, here's what I know to be true. John 10.10 10 says the thief's purpose, that's the enemy, that's the devil, is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he is at work to do in your life and in your marriage. Uh, but here's God's desire. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other versions, it says an abundant life. Did you know that God wants you to have an abundant life? Not just to be in a survival mentality, but to live life in abundance, full of joy and hope for the future and all that it is that he's called you to do. You know, I believe in marriage that we have to play defense and offense. And uh, how many uh, people we have in here that like and love American football? All right. I know we've got a coach up here on the second row. Like football is so much fun. I cannot wait to see my Dallas Cowboys I can't remember who we're playing tonight. Who are we playing? The Niners. We are going to beat those Niners. That's a big rivalry that's coming up tonight. Everybody tune in at 820 and be rooting for Cowboys, all right? I'm your pastor. You love me. I love you. We're on each other's side. We're for each other, not against each other, right? So you'll be rooting with me, maybe. Uh, that doesn't sound very affirming by your response, but um, I love football. And so I want to kind of use an example. You know, any good team that wins a championship usually has a really good defense and probably a really good offense. Both are needed. Sometimes you'll see a team win a championship because of their defense. And sometimes you'll see them win it, win it because of their offense. But most of the time, they need both uh, to win. And so I think that the same is, is true in our lives. We uh, need to have an offense and a defense. We need, we need a playbook that we are going to follow in regards to this fourth commitment to stay pure. And so I want to point us to two key application points that we're going to look at together this morning that I believe is going to be our offense and defensive strategy in order to stay pure in marriage. And here's the very first one. In order to stay pure, it's important that we pay attention to the outward purity. Now, this outward purity could also be kind of defined as, as your behavior, as your disciplines, the things that you can control, the things that you can do on your own. Uh, you know, this might be your uh, defensive strategy, if you will. Uh, Ephesians 5.3 tells us, but among you, there will not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You know, how bad really is impurity? Does it really matter? I believe it's like a poison in any relationship, in your own life, maybe even as a single. <laughs> a poison isn't just bad for you, but it's what? Deadly. <laughs> in Guatemala, we could not drink the tap water because it was not purified. It was not filtered. And so if you would take a drink out of the faucet of water, if you would brush your teeth with the sink water, you would um, potentially be in risk of getting a parasite or of getting a bacterial infection. And, and we had many bacterial infections and they are not fun. But the good news is, is most of the time it wouldn't kill you. Uh, it would harm you. It would make you take a step back, but it wasn't deadly. Uh, um, impurity, though, could be more closely related to something that would be more like somebody uh, slipping in a little bit of cyanide into your drink at, at lunch today. That would be kind of be more deadly because cyanide is not something you mess with. 
Uh, impurity is just like that. You know, every couple of weeks, um, Christina likes us to do something in our home that I absolutely attest, that I do not enjoy doing. But she's like, hey, babe, you know what I need you to help me do today? I'm like, oh, no. You want to clean out from underneath the couch, don't you? And she's like, yes, I do. How many of you guys have one of those couches, you know, that all kinds of things get lost in there and trickle down to the bottom? And uh, oftentimes we'll have someone over every week into our home. And so before guests come over, she's like, we got to clean out from underneath that couch. I'm like, babe, why? They're not going to be looking under the couch. It doesn't matter. Why is this so important? But she's like, no, I need you to lift up the couch. And y'all, our, our couch is old. It's not made of some of this lightweight wood and material, and so it's heavy. And so I get up there and I have to muster up strength to pick this thing up and, and hold it up. And she gets under there real quick and gets a broom and sweeps everything out. And uh, by default, every single time, she's like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how much junk and stuff of value was underneath our couch. Like she's blown away every single time, even though every time it's just as bad as it was before, it shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, we've got little kids, it's messy, it's, it's gross, but every time she's like, oh my gosh, look at all of this stuff. And, and Nora's kind of picked up on this game. All right, it's something that we do, like I said, almost weekly in our in our home. And, and so Christina's pulling it out. And before you know it, she started getting on her little hands and knees and looking over and saying, oh my gosh, like our little three-year-old Nora started doing this at two. And we're like, oh my goodness, she's already picking up that this is a crazy thing that we discover. It's like Christmas every time. Like, oh, there's that missing AirPod. You know, hey, there's some loose change and, and money that made its way out. Oh, I was missing that Bible, that book. Somehow the couch has its way of eating eating all of these things up. And, uh, and so this is something that we do often in our home, and I don't get it myself, but it's something that's important to Christina uh, because she knows that uh, what it looks like under there when our guests come over. And so the last thing that she wants is for anything to, to ooze or, or poke itself out so that our guests would be like, what is going on in the Davis household? <laughs> Uh, there's a, a man by the name of, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but it's something like Vlad Savichkuk, something like that, all right? Uh, if you want his name later, I can give it to you. But uh, he, he says this, that there is a difference between cleanliness and purity. And he said that you can be clean on the outside and impure on the inside. He said purity is what's under the couch. And the fact is, a lot of times we can claim cleanliness without being able to to honestly say that we are pure. Eventually, if we don't clean out under the couch, the mess starts oozing out and we start missing a lot of things. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 tells us not to even have a hint of sexual immorality in our lives. You know, let me give you some hints of what that could look like. You know, a hint of sexual immorality could be sleeping with a coworker. Sleeping with a pool boy. You know, a hint of immorality could be looking at pornography or, or maybe something that wouldn't even be classified as pornography, but it's something that you shouldn't be looking at. It's someone of the opposite gender that you were looking at in a way that is, that is not okay. You know, it could be lusting after that actor or actress that you find to be drop dead gorgeous. You know, you, it can, it could take your mind places you shouldn't be going. Uh, I think it could be dressing provocatively in, in order to, to get some unneeded and want attention that you should not be bringing upon yourself. I think a hint 
of immor- sexual immorality could be meeting someone at the bar and maybe getting a little flirty and, and dancing uh, provocatively and uh, in ways that you shouldn't be. And, you know, it could be reading a romance novel. Uh, it could be listening to a podcast surrounding sex talk. You know, I don't, I don't know what that could look like, but I think these are some examples of what sexual impurity can look like. And God's word tells us, don't even allow a hint or a drop of that poison into your life, into your marriage, into your relationships. You know, in God's economy, there's no gray. It's either black or it's white. It's either right or it's wrong. And he calls us to a higher living, not because he wants to be this God that's judgy, but because he's like, I've got a better way for you. I've got a better life for you. I want you to live in abundance. And so trust me. You know, in Proverbs, Solomon told his son regarding the sin of adultery, this is what he said in Proverbs 5, 8, stay away from her. Don't go near that door of her house. That's where it says, stay far away from it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, to run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And so God says, run away from it. Other translation says, flee from the lust of the eyes. And so listen, maybe you're sitting here this morning and thinking, Blake, this is crazy. Uh, this is this is over the top. You know, this is my body. This is my life. I, I can do what I, I want to do. And, and maybe for you, that is okay because you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and so God's word doesn't apply to you. You're right. However, I will tell you that this has implications of damaging any long-term relationship that you hope to have in the future. It will affect your marriage later down the line. It will affect other relationships, whether you are a believer or not a believer. However, for those of you that are Christians, that do profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've surrendered your life to him, you need to pay attention. Because look, pay attention to what happens in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, beginning in the very next two verses that we just read a moment ago. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Pay attention to this. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price because he gave his son for you. He gave his best for you. He paid a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Listen to me, church. You do not belong to yourself. You're a son and a daughter of King Jesus. And you've said, Lord, my life is yours. All of it. Not parts of it, but all of it. God paid a high price for you. And now that you've surrendered your life to him, Jesus understands that, that, hey, he's telling us that your body is a temple for my Holy Spirit to dwell and live. And so you got to get that cyanide out. You can't allow it to affect my relationship with you, the closeness that I can have with you. You've got to get it out of your marriages and relationships. I can't be there. And so he tells us to honor him with our bodies. Listen, I've made some personal boundaries in my own life to hopefully do my best to to, to stay 
pure. And so I want to share some of these with you. And uh, you might need to adopt some of these yourself. Or uh, part of the homework that we're going to talk about in a little bit is that you and your spouse have some conversations about some personal boundaries that you need to make so that you don't go to places you shouldn't be going. Uh, I made uh, my wife and I made a decision a long time ago. We knew that God was calling us to full time ministry. Uh, and so I made a decision that I was never going to be alone with another woman that wasn't my wife or one of my daughters. It was a decision we made a long time ago. I wasn't going to have one-on-one -on -one meetings. I wasn't going to be with them behind closed doors. I would not have any lunch or coffee, appoint uh, coffee appointments. Uh, I would not ride alone in the car with them. And so that's a decision that her and I made a long time ago for our protection. Uh, now, I do want to say that I know that's not fully possible for everyone maybe that's in here uh, because of your work situation, but I do encourage you to be very careful with being alone with someone of the opposite sex. Uh, that's just something you have to be careful of because I, I know in ministry, especially there's a lot of pastors that have fallen uh, into sexual immorality because of not setting up some boundaries. And so we have decided that this is going to be a boundary that we stay firm on. Uh, and so I'm never alone with another woman. Uh, and for over a decade, I've had a paid subscription on my phone to Covenant Eyes that filters out any junk that would ever try to be on my phone. And it's, uh, uh, it's also an accountability program and something that we've used for over a decade. And so maybe you hear that and you think, Pastor Blake, man, are you really that weak? Are you really that susceptible to, to sin? Is this really like a, a downfall for you? And my response would be to you, you know, most days, absolutely not. But most days I know that I need to stay as far away from that as I possibly can. But here's the deal. I set up all these things as, as boundaries because on days or moments of weakness, I don't want to have access to things I don't need to be seeing. I don't want to have access to a relationship in a quiet, alone place that I should never put myself in. And so I've set up some boundaries. Um, social media. I'm a middle-aged man. I can't believe I'm saying middle age, but it's, it's the truth. I'm, I'm 40 plus now, 41. And uh, for whatever reason, social media knows most 41-year-old men what kind of uh, content they should be pushing to them. Uh, and so some, some, some content starts to pop up on my phone that is not appropriate, that I have no business looking at. And, and so I've noticed that about once every two or three months, they will start to push me things that I don't want to see. And so I've got to figure out in that moment, what am I going to do about it? And so I always tag it as inappropriate. And as soon as I tag it as inappropriate, I make sure to tell my wife, hey, social media is starting to push that junk my way again. I wanted to give you a heads up, but I'm doing what I can to make sure to stay away from it. And so I'm setting up some boundaries. Christina has access to all of my social media accounts. She often goes on and checks them. Uh, and she can see what algorithms are coming my way and what content is coming my way because I tell the algorithm what I do and don't want to see. Uh, at times, it's going to push things my way that I don't want to see, but you have to make sure to tell it, no, uh, this is the door. You stop here. Uh, and so we got to be careful with the content that we are consuming. You know, I don't watch TV shows and movies that have nudity in them. I don't do it. I don't go there and listen. I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm in ministry and that's for sure a line for me, but I think it probably should be a line for you as well. I don't think you should be watching anything that has nudity in it. That just takes your mind places you don't need to go. And so I think that's something that is a boundary that we need to set for ourselves. You need to keep yourself in check and run away from every hint 
of sexual immorality. If you, if you can't control it, then you cut it off. You delete it. Uh, you lock that phone down. You get rid of that smartphone. You get rid of that computer and you do something different so that you don't end up in those places. Stay away from it. Run from it. Flee from sexual immorality. You know, and if we were to follow the advice and words of Jesus, he says, if, if you're having an issue with it, cut it off. Do we need to gouge some of our eyes out, right? I mean, we gotta, that's Jesus's instruction to us. Like, hey, if this is that big of a problem, you better do something about it. And so check your behavior and stay outwardly pure. Here's the second thing. We talked about outward purity and our behavior. And now I want to talk about the inward purity, which is related to the heart. You know, we can try our best to stay pure on our own. We can set up disciplines. We can set up boundaries. We can guard behaviors. But here's the thing I know. Eventually, we're going to fail. Uh, eventually, we're going to struggle uh, because none of us are strong enough to overcome all of the temptation that's being thrown our way. There's so much junk out there, and it's going to be impossible for you to win every battle, to, to keep your mind in check every single time. And so there's going to be moments that you're going to mess up. And so here's what we ultimately need to be working towards. We need to let God transform our hearts and our minds so that we can live purely from the inside out. We need him to purify our hearts, to purify our minds so that we can live purified lives on the outside. It's, it's a transformation that happens from the inside out. Psalms 119, 9 through 11 says, how can a young person stay pure? Here's the key, by obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I think David here, that the psalmist is hitting on something key that can be a part of transforming our hearts and so that our behavior begins to change on the outside. David takes us back to the very first commandment that we talked about in our marriage series, which is to seek God, to make that the foundation, to seek Him as we pray and listen to His Holy Spirit. As we study and read His Word, it's clear that He begins to transform us. It's something we have to continually submit to and ask for His help in. And so the longer I seek Him, the more He renews and transforms us. The old Blake would have fallen victim to the lust and temptations that the world throws at me. But now that the new Blake is being renewed and transformed by, by Holy Spirit and by God's Word, and I'm becoming more stubborn in this area and refusing to bow my knee to temptation it's becoming a repulsive thing to me now. And it's something that I'm just not allowing to affect my intimacy with God like I used to let it. I'm refusing to allow it to enter into my marriage and to affect my relationship with my wife. Here's what I know is true. The heart matters. And so we've got to guard it. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to transform it, to transform us so that we don't allow the lust and the other things to begin creeping in. So when we get to this place of saying, ooh, that looks good and tempting. 
so that we don't begin fantasizing about how it could be. Oh, wow. They could meet my needs in different ways that my wife never could or my spouse never could. So we flirt with what looks good and we fantasize about how it could be. And before you know it, the walls of our hearts have been broken down. And that can lead us to places we never want to be. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 28, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you just look at someone with eyes of lust, you've already committed adultery. That's how serious this is. The heart matters, and so we aren't just going to change our outward behaviors, but we are going to continually and consistently lean into Holy Spirit, lean into His Word and say, please transform me on the inside out. Allow the power of your Spirit to help me and transform me so that we can achieve a state of purity that most of us today could never even imagine could be possible. I want to let you know, none of us are perfect in here today. None of us are getting ready to cast any stones towards any of us because here's the deal. I believe everyone can struggle in this area. Staying pure is so difficult. And so when you sin and you you fall into an area of impurity, I, I think there's several different responses that you and I tend to make. You know, two of these responses that we're going to talk about in just a moment are the wrong response But then the last one that we're going to lead us to is is the response that you and I need to have any time we fall into this area of um, sexual impurity. And here's the very first one. A typical response to impurity is defensiveness. This is a go-to for many of us. Maybe, Maybe you're thinking, well, guys are just that way. Boys will be boys. That's just how it is. You're not going to change their minds. You know, well, you know, it's not really my fault. It's really their fault. You know, defensiveness says if, if they would just do this or that, then everything would be so much better. They aren't meeting my needs like they should. We're, we're just friends. We're not crossing any boundaries, any, any lines that we shouldn't be. And that's kind of this response that often happens that we're defensive and we just try to, to write it off. If this is how you want to respond, then most likely there's a big problem in your life. You need to drop your guard, get accountability. You need to receive correction and allow God to begin to transforming work that he can desperately do in your life. Defensiveness often rationalizes sin. So if you're being defensive, it should be a warning sign for you. Here's the second way that many of us respond to impurity, and it's remorse. We get down on ourselves and we say, man, I'm just so bad. I'm just so awful. I just can't get past this. I never should have gotten caught. What can I do next time so that nobody will catch me in that act again? You know, we kind of get to this place of being remorseful. and, and, And yes, we all struggle. Yes, We all sin, but this isn't the place to camp out in. This is not the response to just wallow in and and hang out in. Get out of that place as fast as you can. And the real response needs to be the third one, which is repentance. This needs to be your go-to response. It's recognizing your sin and no longer wanting to do the things that you're doing today. It's asking God and our spouse to forgive us. 
And through that process, we can be restored into right relationship with the Father and into right relationship with our spouse. And I want to encourage you in here today, if your spouse comes to you to repent of one of these areas, recognize the humility and boldness that it takes for them to muster up the courage to make that confession in front of you. And then make sure it's met with forgiveness and not judgment. That doesn't mean that maybe there's some next steps for you. There's some counseling. There's some other people that you need to get around you. There's some guards and boundaries that you need to put up. But make sure you respond in forgiveness. And listen to me. Uh, shame is from the enemy. Guilt is, is from our enemy. The, the, his desire is, a, I bring this up often, especially to our men, but there's four Ds that the enemy wants to do all the time in our life. He wants to distract us, discourage us, dislocate us, and utterly destroy us. That's what his goal and intent is. And he wants to dislocate you in your marriage. Uh, he wants to discourage you with where you're at. And so he wants to load you down with shame and with guilt. But God says, listen, by confessing, by realigning your life, by receiving hope, once again, you too can have abundant life. Christine Kane made this statement in one of her messages that I heard. It says, God is able to take the mess of our past and turn it into a message. He takes the trials and tests and turns them into a testimony. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And in closing, I want to encourage you to get in the habit of asking yourself this question. Is it worth it? Every time that temptation starts to creep in, ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth allowing that thought in or doing that action? Is it worth that moment of a pleasure or satisfaction? Is it worth dreaming or, or fantasizing about? Is it worth it? And I think if we can honestly respond to, to that question, uh, our response would be absolutely, totally not okay. I'm not going there. It brings hurt into my relationship with my spouse. Now, for those of you who are single, it affects your future. It affects your relationship with the Father. And, and so the response should be, no, it is not worth it. And so listen, today, if you are feeling a sense of shame and condemnation through this message, then I need you to listen to me for just a moment. Again, I need you to recognize that that is from the enemy. That is not from God. This is the last thing that he wants you to pick up and carry around with you is shame and guilt for where you were or where you are today. And so you got to lay that down and understand that our God is a gracious God. He, he sees you where you're at and he has compassion towards you. He's like, listen, I understand you're struggling, but I want you to understand that I've got something better for you. And so repent, come to the Father and receive that forgiveness. No longer stay in that guilt and that shame. Receive correction by repenting from those things and turning away from them. God is gracious and he can begin to transform your story from this day forward. Here's the homework that I have for you going into this week. 
as spouses, here's some conversations that I want you to have. Here's some questions that I want you to be working through on your own and some discussion that you need to have uh, together in your marriages. Here's the very first one. You need to ask your spouse what it is that uh, they do and have done that makes them feel that you honor them or your marriage. That's the very first thing I want you to take some time to do. I think it's important to recognize those things. Secondly, I want you to have a talk about some boundaries in your marriages. Do they need to be created or do they need to be reviewed? So the first thing is ask your spouse what it is they do or have done that makes them feel that you honor them or your marriage. Secondly, you need to have a talk about boundaries in your marriage. Do they need to be created or do they, do they need to be reviewed? And lastly, here's the last one I want you to do this week is to have a talk about accountability. Do each of you have someone that you are accountable to outside of your marriage? If the answer is no, you need it. <laughs> you need someone that can say, hey, this isn't okay and this needs to change and we need to be ready to receive it. And so those are the three things I want you to be working through in your marriages this week. And, and so I want to encourage you just to stand to your feet with me for a moment as we close out our time together. And as you're standing to your feet, I want us to do what we do at the end of every single message. This is ask this question, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're saying to me? And so with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want you to take a moment and just allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you right now. Thanks for tuning in. If what you heard today was inspirational or transformative, tell us about it. We love your feedback. For more information on how you can get connected, check us out at firmfoundation.church.